This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Morning, everybody. Can you hear me? Okay, that's really good. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Uh, Dear Father, as we come before you today, we really want to ask that you may help us to understand your word. And as we come to the very end of 1 John, that you will speak powerfully to us, especially as we live in a world which is so different from the world that we are supposed to belong to in Jesus. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, my grandfather, Ma Kong, lived to the ripe old age of 95. And uh, I hope I have his genes. Because uh, he was a smoker, cigarettes and a pipe, to the day he died, he survived lung cancer. Uh, he loved his chakwe tiao. Uh, when he ate his uh, kong ba, you know, he ate all the fat, fatty bits. But somehow, his cholesterol level was very good. You know, his mind was very sharp. He didn't seem to have any problems. So I really do hope that I have his genes. But there was one negative to his health. And that was uh, when he was younger, he used to play a lot of badminton. And I think he injured his knee. But as he got older, his knee used to give him a lot of problems. Uh, so my mother, who was a doctor, said to him, Oh, you know, you really should get your knee replaced. Like uh, Uncle Seng-Yun here, <laughs> right? He should have a knee replacement. So my, my dad, who was a doctor, also said the same thing. And he, we brought him to a specialist. And the specialist says, you should have a knee replacement. But my grandfather never really took it very seriously. Until one day, he said, Oh, no, the pain is so bad, I can't take it anymore. Uh, I, sh- I should go to s- get the, the, the surgeon to give me a, a knee replacement. But then he went to see the surgeon... And the surgeon said, oh, I'm so sorry, but uh, because you are quite old now and you've been smoking, there's not enough blood flow to your leg and we can't operate anymore. And so for many, many years after that, like I think decades, uh, his knee was always giving him trouble and uh, he had trouble getting around. So what was the mistake of my grandfather? I think the mistake of my grandfather was that he didn't take his knee seriously enough. Right? He didn't take the advice of doctors seriously enough. He didn't take the advice of specialists seriously enough. I think that as we come to 1 John chapter 5, it's a bit like the same thing that John has in his mind who writes this book to us. He's, he's worried that we do not take his warnings seriously enough, uh, that we do not take God's word seriously enough. Now, it's very important for us to understand that uh, 1 John was written to Christians. So they have the assurance of salvation and eternal life. So throughout the book of 1 John, we've seen that Christians are always referred to as the dear children, dear friends, and they all have fellowship with Jesus Christ, the Son, and God, the Father. But as we've been seeing in the book of 1 John, the structure of 1 John is a bit like a song, right? It's a bit like a symphony. Okay, so, uh, yep, you have to see it up here. Okay, so it's a bit like a symphony where it comes and goes, it has different themes, it comes with this theme, then it goes to this theme, then it comes back again. So if you go to the next slide, you can actually see that the, I haven't actually given you the chapter references, but but actually this is exactly how it goes in the in, in one John, okay? So it starts off with right belief, right doctrine, then right walking and obeying, and then loving, and then right belief and doctrine again, and then right walking and obeying, and then loving again, and then right belief and doctrine, and then loving Last of all, last week. So the reason why he keeps going on and on about these things is because there are really three elements 
that he's trying to speak to to the readers of 1 John that they need to keep holding on to. Okay, so these are the distinctive, the marks of being true children of God. Okay, and that is the right belief or doctrine, having love for one another, not hating, and also obedience to God's commands. Now the danger is, obviously, the next slide, is that we don't take these things seriously enough. Right? The danger is we don't believe that doctrine really matters or belief really matters. We believe anything or anyone. And that was the danger of the false teachers. We don't believe that we really need to love one another. And we don't believe that we really need to hold on to God's commands. So with that as a background, we can then understand 1 John chapter 5 because he wraps up everything into one chapter. So turn with me now to verse 1 of chapter 5 to 10. Okay, here it says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. And this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which is given about His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has, not, has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about His Son. Now, you need to pay attention now just for five minutes. Okay? You really have to put in your thinking cap because it's quite complex but if you look at the passage, okay, so if you look, look up here, you need to look up here. What is the, 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 like the backbone which holds this whole section together, right? What is the, the, the structure which holds it all together? It is the word believe, right? It's like it, it forms the beginning and it forms the end of the section, right? It's, it's all about belief in something. And the two things that they're meant to believe in, is that Jesus is the Son and Jesus is the Christ. Okay, can you see that from here? I think, did I put another slide? I can't remember. Okay, go, go back, go back, go back. Okay. So that Jesus is the Son and Jesus is the Christ. Now, we've already uh, seen that this is one of the marks of the identity of the Christian, right? Right belief and right doctrine. So the next slide. So we see here, that Jesus, we are to believe, is the Son of God, and He is the Christ. That is the fundamental thing that we must hold on to as Christians. But as we've been looking through the whole book of John, 1 John, we saw right at the very beginning of John, that the reason why we believe that Jesus is the Son and the Christ is what? You probably forgot, right? 1 John chapter 1, right? It was because of the testimony of the apostles. Right? So in 1 John chapter 1, it was because they had eaten with Jesus, they had touched Jesus, they had seen Jesus, 
And because of their testimony, that we were meant to believe that Jesus was the Son with the Father, and He was the Christ. Okay, so chapter five really is always bringing itself back. You know, it's like this symphonic thing, right? It's always looking back, looking back and forth between the rest of chapter one to four. So right at the very beginning of one John, why do we believe that Jesus is the Son and the Christ? Because of human testimony, because of the testimony of the apostles who lived with Jesus, walked with Jesus, and heard Jesus. But the argument here, one John chapter five now, is that there is a greater testimony for which we have something even stronger to believe in, and that is God's testimony. So if you come back again to one John chapter five, look at what it says there in one John chapter five. He says here. That in, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For the tree testify the Spirit, the water and the blood, and the tree are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which He has given about His Son. So if you believe the testimony of the human witness of Jesus being the Son, then John is saying here that I have a greater testimony to give you, and that's God's testimony, which is the water and the blood. And now you're asking yourself, well, what is the water and the blood which God uses to testify about His Son? Well, it must obviously happen in Jesus' life, right? It's not our baptism, right? It must be Jesus' baptism, because... When you think back in Jesus' life, when he came as a, in, in, as a human being to live on the earth, what event was associated with water? Uh, it can't be washing the disciples' feet. It can't be you know, giving the Samaritan woman water. It was more probably his baptism. And that's what we read in our responsive reading. Right? Because when Jesus was baptized, there was testimony from God that Jesus was the Son. So here it says in Mark chapter 1, it says, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming out, up out of the water, he saw heaven being op- torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And again, John, in uh, his earlier book says, Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit coming down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. See, why do we believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Because of God's testimony with the water when Jesus was baptized. When the Holy Spirit came down upon Jesus and the voice from heaven spoke that Jesus was his son. Because we didn't need to see the Holy Spirit come on Jesus, right? That was for the audience's benefit. Uh, We didn't need to audibly hear God speak from heaven. Again, that was for our benefit. It was God testifying through the Holy Spirit and through his voice that God was his son. But then also... God testifies with the blood. 
Now obviously when we think back to Jesus' life, his incarnation, the blood most definitely must stand for his crucifixion on the cross. Now when Jesus was crucified, uh, at his death, several supernatural things and unnatural things happened, right? So in verse 42 of Luke 24 it says, Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he said, after he, when he had said this, he breathed his last. And here again, I guess it's not as clear as the baptism, but it shows a picture of how Jesus, at his death, something supernatural was happening. It was, you know, that there was no light. The curtain was torn in two, and Jesus called out to the Father. Now, this is God's testimony, and God's testimony aligns with the Apostles' testimony. And what is really being said here is, who is the true Son of God? Who is the true born of God? Who is the true child of God? It is those who believe in the Apostles' testimony and God's testimony. Now, I think this is really, really relevant today because, you know, we live in a post-truth, post-modern world. So we live in a world... Oh, okay, don't worry about this. We live in a world where basically everybody has to respect each other's truth. right? As long as you believe in it sincerely, that's your truth. If, if I believe in it sincerely, that's my truth. It's, it's all truth. right? There is no, what, uh, I was listening to this podcast, there is no overarching truth. right? So you believe the world is flat, I'm happy for you. I believe the world is round, I'm happy for me, but we are all, together in truth, right? Even though it's illogical, right? How can the world be flat and round at the same time, right? It doesn't work, right? But but we have to respect each, other, each other's truth. But the attitude of, in the postmodern world where everybody's truth is authentically true, is also kind of like come into the Christian church, right? Because in the Christian church now we say everybody, every church is true. As long as they call themselves a Christian, as long as they call themselves a church, then they are Christian, right? So it doesn't matter whether it's a church, doesn't matter at the next slide, whether they are individual Christians. As long as we all call ourselves Christians, we are all like, you know, we're all authentically true and we're all authentically Christians in Christ. But what this passage is actually saying is, no, the next slide, it is only like this smaller group of people who are within the apostles' teaching. And if you look carefully at this passage, who believe the testimony of God, who are truly the ones born of God. That's what it says very clearly in this passage. right? It, it says there that only the ones who accept God's testimony are born of God. So not everybody who calls themselves a Christian and not every church that calls themselves a church is truly part of God's family. It's only those who accept the apostles and God's testimony. Those are the ones who are in this circle where they are within the truth and where they are within God's testimony and the apostles' testimony. So, um, you all know I, I don't uh, 
my Chinese is really bad, right? And I don't really watch many Chinese things. But my wife got me to watch this thing called Sing China before, right? I don't know, I'm sure, have you all watched Sing China before? Yeah, I'm sure many of you have, lah. So, no, uh, okay, no, okay, one person said no, okay. Anyway, I, I watched it when Nathan Hatono, was it, I think was it Nathan Hatono, or some other people on it, right? So I was very fascinated by this Sing China competition because in the Sing China competition, the judges, I think it's like they copied it from The Voice or something, right, in America, they sit facing away from the stage, right? So the audience is looking at the, the singers, but the judges, they're sitting in these chairs, they are facing away from the, the, the singers, the, the singers are behind them. And then if they, if they like the singer, then, oh, this is a very famous guy, right? Jay Cho, is it? Yeah, so anyway, so he will press, they will press the button, right? And then the chair will then rotate, and then it's very futuristic, the chair will then move towards the stage. So I was watching this and I was thinking, actually that's quite fascinating, right? Because what it really shows is, it doesn't matter whether the the participant is good looking or bad looking, because you know actually I was quite surprised. You know, you some there are some not so attractive singers or whatever, but it doesn't matter because you can't see the person. It doesn't matter whether they're big or small, tall or short. You know, women, men, all that counts is the voice, because right? that's all they can hear. They can only hear the voice, right? They're facing the audience, and I feel feel like for ourselves as well. What really counts, right, is the testimony of God in the Bible. God's testimony and the testimony of the apostles in the Bible. That's the only thing that counts in terms of being a church of God and being a Christian and being born of God. Just like in Sing China, the only thing that counts is your voice, right? Not your looks or your popularity, whether the crowd likes you. So again, as a Christian, what the Bible is saying here in 1 John is, the only thing that counts is accepting God's testimony and the apostles' testimony. That's the only thing that counts. doesn't matter how big the church is, doesn't matter how popular the, the pastors are, it is God's testimony and man's testimony. That's what determines whether you are born of God, a child of God. Now, it's so important for us to understand this because in verse 11 and 12 it says, and this is the testimony God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now this shows you how important it is to stay within... Oh, uh, okay, the next slide. How important it is to stay within the testimony of God, or to stay within the testimony of the apostles. Right? Because... It is only within this testimony that there is eternal life. Outside of this testimony, in the blue area, there is no eternal life. That's what this passage is saying very clearly. right? If this is the testimony, God is eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Only those who have the Son, according to God's testimony, has life. But those who do not have the Son of God do not have life. So because the stakes are so high, we need to take very seriously that our faith, the foundation of our faith must be based on right belief and right doctrine so that we are within the white area. Because everything outside the white area does not have eternal life. 
So don't go outside the testimony of God. Don't go outside the testimony found in the Bible. So many years ago, uh, I had a, a, my theological lecturer, wonderful man, right? He was a typical Aussie fellow, sports person, very personable. Uh, he used to be my neighbor for two years when I was in theological college. We used to share half an hour car rides to go in and out uh, to go to theological college. A few years ago, very sadly, I found that, oh, you need to keep the picture up that he no longer believes that that God's the Bible is God's word, very sadly. And he feels that you can actually get to know God in different ways outside the Bible. Now, even though he's a, I've got very fond memories of him, and uh, you know he was my good friend for many years, he, he's moved outside the circle. Can you see that? He's no longer in the white part. He's moved outside the circle, because he no longer believes only in God's testimony in the Bible. He's moved outside now, and, and I can't follow him outside, right? Even though he was my good friend, because he is now outside and at risk of losing eternal life. So, a few years ago as well, I was having um, lunch. I don't know why I was... Uh, I bumped into this old friend of mine. I just randomly bumped into him, and he had been in this Presbyterian church for many, many years. So I sat down, and I think he had a lot of time. We just sat down and chat for a while, and he told me that he had left the church. So I asked him why he had left his church, and now he was in another church, another Presbyterian church. And he told me it was because his head pastor had changed over time. And uh, he said that he no longer just preached from the Bible, but also from revelation from the Holy Spirit. And he believed... And this is why he told me that Christians should not get sick, that we should be able to be healthy and should be able to be healed. And so this friend of mine had been in this member of this Presbyterian church for many, many years. He was one of the leaders there at one stage. And he felt that there was something not quite wrong with it, but he thought, okay, I've been in this church for so long, I'll stay there, right? But the straw that broke the camel's back, which caused him to leave, was when the associate pastor died suddenly. He passed away suddenly. Then after the associate pastor died, the head pastor still came up on the Sunday and preached about how Christians should be healthy and should be healed. And he said to himself, this is a contradiction, right? Because the associate pastor just died a few weeks ago and now you're preaching about how Christians should be healthy and should be healed. And and he said, how can you have the two things? It doesn't make sense. And it was at that point he said that he realized that this pastor, the head pastor, had gone beyond what the Bible was saying, God's testimony was saying, and that he should leave the church because he no longer felt that they were preaching what God was saying in the Bible. See, I think it's very important that we don't make the same mistake that my grandfather made with his knee, where we delude ourselves or we deceive ourselves and we say, this is not very serious. Because having the wrong belief, having the wrong doctrine, outside of God's testimony and the testimony of the Bible, actually has eternal life consequences. Someone once gave me this quote, right? This dangerous quote where it says, Pastor, we don't care what you know, we just know that you care. But this is very dangerous, right? Because it it, it matters what the pastor says, not whether just the pastor loves you. 
It's not enough that you have a loving church. What also matters is whether the church is in God's testimony, in what God's word is saying. So the passage, okay, if you look back to chapter 5, verse 1 to 2, I think is it up there, 5, 1 to 2? You see that actually in verse 1 to 5, it's not just about what you believe, but if you have the right belief, you must also love. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. And this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and by carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. Now, in the... This is not a new thing, right? Okay, go to the next slide. Already in the, the symphonic structure of 1 John, he's already touched on love at various parts. And he's not kind of like saying anything new. Right? He, he, you know, if you love God the Father, you must love your brother. If you love God the Father, you must love your sister. Part of loving God is loving each other in action, in truth, and not in words. But... Actually, there's a new thing that's being said in this section. Because in chapter 5, verse 13 to 16, is it up here that I printed? It actually tells us how, in a sense, we are to love, or gives one example of how we love one another in a real way. Right? So, in this section, it tells us that we are to pray for one another. So in verse 13 to 16, it says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that we, if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have asked, that what we have asked Him. We know that we have what we have asked Him, asked of Him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will lead them to life. Okay, so the rest of it, um, we're not sure what it means, so I'm not even sure what it means, so I, I won't, we're not going to touch it today, you can discuss it in your Bible study. But what is very clear here is that we have eternal life if we have the Son of God. But, oh, is it? That, okay, so we have eternal life, we have the Son of God, but if we see someone sin, our brother and sister sin, then we are to pray that God will give him life. Now we already know that God has given us Jesus to forgive us. Right, so early on in chapter 2, right, the next slide, God had said very clearly that we are not to sin, but if we sin, we have Jesus who speaks in our defense and he's our atoning sacrifice. So that's how we have eternal life. Now what is being said here then is that when we love our brother and sister in Christ, part of it must be to pray for them for the eternal things, the eternal life things. If we see our brother and sister sin, pray for them that they will continue to be in Christ and receive forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Now it's very interesting because when you look at this passage, when people... Given an example about prayer, I, I, I came across this uh, prayer um, sermon that was preached in another church that happened that someone happened to pass me once. And usually it's about what to pray for yourself, right? It's all about me. Lah. If you think about your own prayer life, you pray for yourself. Right? Even if you pray for other people, usually you pray for their health, or they pray for their exams, or they pray for their career, or pray for something or other. But here in this passage, it seems to be that actually our prayers first and foremost 
must be our main focus, must be focused on eternal life issues. Right? Because that's what really matters at the end of the day. Yes, okay, you might get that job. Yes, you might get that spouse. Or yes, you might get healthy again. But what really matters is eternal life. And I think that's why for us, as we look at this passage and we talk about love for one another, we think, okay, I love you, I, I cook you some food, I love you, I give you a lift to church. Uh, maybe I love you and I, you know, I really love you, I'll give you a lift to the church camp, right? But here it says that actually an expression of love is to pray for people on, in matters regarding life, eternal life. And I think that's something that we must do in our personal life and in, in, our, in our Bible study life as well. If our Bible study time, prayer time is just built, uh, spent about, you know, like worldly concerns, not that we shouldn't pray about worldly concerns, I think we should pray about worldly concerns, but the thing that really concerns us is our spiritual walk in Christ and eternal life issues. So I read this book many years ago. I'd like to recommend it to you. If you read it, I cannot, I will definitely guarantee that it will change your prayer life and your priorities. So, Don Carson goes through all the prayers of Paul, and, and the thing that really struck me was how, how God-centered and how eternal life-centered Paul's prayers are. He, he, you know, more, all his prayers are about salvation issues. And so we should be praying for one another for salvation, eternal life issues as well. Okay, so we've looked at the right doctrine of belief. we looked at love in prayer. And the last part, obviously, must be about then obey, right? Obedience. So again, if you look at me in verse 1 to 5, I think it's up there, right? Okay, so now we look at right walking or obeying, right? So we already touched on that um, in, uh, in the earlier section. But again, if you look in verse 1 to 5, so 1 to 5 basically summarizes everything that we've seen in 1 to 4, chapter 1 to 4. He says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. This is how we know, sorry, this is how we love, so we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, I want you to look at this passage. Oh, actually the light blue doesn't help. Huh? Can you see that from the back of the room? You can, huh? So, there's a new idea that is being introduced here in chapter 5. Now, this new idea is this dichotomy or the, the huge split between the world and those who are born of God. Right? So he's saying... Those who are born of God overcome, oh, thank you, <laughs> overcome the world, right? Over, they, they can overcome the world. And what does he mean by that, this overcome the world? Right? It's like, uh, you know, what is he talking about? Well, again, if you go back 1 John chapter 2, is there another slide, 1 John chapter 2? Yes, this one. He introduces this idea of the world being this place full of temptation and evil and wickedness, right? So do not love the world or anything in the world. For anyone, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, 
the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, does not come from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Now when you, when you have 1 John chapter 2 and this overcoming the world in your mind, then verse 13, uh, sorry, verse uh, 18 to 21 makes sense. Right? If you don't have the context, it doesn't make sense. So look at verse 18, 21. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe. And the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true by being in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. So what it says in 1 John chapter 2 is everything in the world is, is a danger to us. right? And the reason why it's a danger to us is because it says there in verse uh, 19, right? The whole world is under the control of the evil one. But we are not under the control of the evil one. It says there in verse 18, God keeps us safe and the evil one cannot harm us. Therefore, unlike the rest of the world, we are able to obey God's commands because we are, we have a different Lord, we have a different King, we have a different protector. Right? We, we, we have God and Jesus as our protector. Whereas the world cannot follow God's commands because Satan or the devil or the evil one has control over them. Now, if you think about this, um, this comes about very importantly because of our faith in Jesus. Now, the NIV translation is actually very difficult to read. So if you look at um, verse 4, look at, look at verse 4 in chapter 5, right? It says, And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Right? What does it mean, even our faith, right? Don't understand what you're saying, right? Does that mean we overcome even our faith, right? But actually, the NIV is 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 not so clear. To say the English the standard version translation or the NASB. I think that's clearer to what the intent is, right? It's like the victory that we have over the world comes because of our faith. Our faith in Jesus Christ gives us a victory. We are empowered by Jesus within us. We are empowered by God to be able to overcome the temptations of this world. And I think that's very true because we live in a world where really there's more and more immorality. I think you have to admit we live in a world where even though the world itself will not admit it, uh, there is lower levels of morality. Okay, I, I was reading this book which just came to me recently about how the number of people who say it's okay to lie and everything else to get ahead has actually uh, you know, increased a lot more than the past. I was even watching this thing on Netflix, my Explain program, right? About how you know, uh, we should give up on monogamy, right? We should have different sorts of relationships with different people. We should have uh, you know, 
marriages bigger than just two people, which are marriages of different sorts and everything. And we should just follow our own human uh, instincts, human nature. Now, if you look at this passage here, in 1 John chapter 5, it would actually say that this comes about because the world is being controlled by the evil one, right? by the devil, by Satan, and the evil one uh, leads people deeper and deeper into sin. Now, from a, from a secular perspective, they will laugh at us and say, ah, that's all nonsense, right? You know, uh, you know, discarding traditional monogamic marriage is liberating. But we will say, no, no, that's actually going further and further away into immorality. And they will say, oh, you know, there's no such things as devils or Satan or evil ones. Right? I mean, like, you know, if you follow Manchester United, they're the red devils. You know, there's a lot of popular horror movies out there where, you know, it's just something that's entertainment. Right? But actually, when you come to the Bible, the very existence of Jesus Christ is proof that there is Satan and the devil. Because why does Jesus come? Why does Jesus incarnate into the world in human form? Well, in 1 John chapter 3, we already read that he who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the, be- from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So if you believe in Jesus, then you be- must believe in the existence of the devil and Satan because part of the reason why Jesus came was to destroy his work. And Jesus also comes so that we who have faith in Jesus are able to be protected from the influence of Jesus, uh, from, of Satan so that we would do what God wills and obey God. Alright, so the next slide. So again, that's why it's so important to remain within the sphere of faith in this authentic Jesus as the Son and the Christ. Right? Because without being in this fear of protection, then you are outside of the safety and protection of God and you are actually under the influence and rule of the evil one. So that's why, once we understand it this way, verse 21 makes sense. right? Because verse 21 says, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Now you kind of think, well, this kind of like random verse thrown out here, isn't it? But actually when you see now that it's only within the protection of Jesus and faith in Jesus where we find safety from uh, the evil one, then, then of course we cannot worship idols, either real idols or, or no, idols like money, because then we will find ourselves outside of the protection of Satan. Into the, the realm of Satan, we'll be outside the protection of Jesus, so as we come to the very end of this uh, really quite magnificent book, it's very clear to us that John wants to, to say that we must take these things very seriously. Right belief and doctrine, love for your brothers and sisters, and also obedience. And the power for obedience comes because God and Jesus gives us protection from the evil one. So in conclusion, uh, I went to visit my... Uh, my son in London a couple of months ago, so I'm going to keep using as many illustrations as I can from my trip, right? So when I went to the, my holiday in London and I spent a few days in Barcelona, I, I visited some magnificent churches. 
okay, in, uh, in those cities. I don't know if you can see at the back. Someone told me that actually you can't see very clearly, but, but you can still see it's pretty magnificent. So uh, we went to St. Paul's Cathedral in London. Okay, like, it's quite a, I mean, when we went on that day, it was raining and a bit miserable. So it didn't quite look like this, but it was still a magnificent building. But uh, to me, the, the most magnificent church really was the one in Barcelona, which is the Sagrada Familia. If you ever go to Barcelona, you must see this is the most amazing church. Uh, they, they, it's, uh, it's, they've been building this for 100 years and they haven't finished it yet, okay? So, so uh, the, the inside is just, okay, I mean our inside here, but, but you know, their inside, their inside was just make, amazing, okay? You, you go back to the first one, ah, it's like this, okay? This is the inside of their church. Okay, so, so you know, you, you see these churches and you, you know, you think these are really magnificent churches, right? The, the architecture, the, the lights, it's, it's just really breathtaking. Right? I mean, literally breathtaking. You walk in, you look around like, wow, this is really amazing. But at the end of the day, in God's eyes, uh, what are these churches? St. Paul's Cathedral, the Familia Sangrada. They're just really, uh, like one pastor said before, they're just rain shelters, right? I mean, just like our building is a rain shelter, right? It's a, they're just rain shelters for God's people to come together to hear God's word, to worship God, to sing songs to God. And for God, what really matters is not the rain shelter, whether it's, you know, Sagrada Familia or the St. Paul's Cathedral. What really matters is His people. And what really matters is His people believe the right things, the right doctrines based on His testimony. And that they love one another truly from the heart and the action and that they would wish to obey and not continue in sin. So this is the real church in God's eyes. Right? This is the church that God wants. And as we come to the end of 1 John chapter 5, uh, this is something that we should be uh, individually and corporately. A uh, people committed to believing what God says in His testimony, in His word, in the Bible, who really love one another and who are willing and desirous to obey God and not continue to sin. So let's go to God in prayer. Uh, dear Father, as we come before you today, I just pray that you will help us to see that as we come to the last chapter of 1 John 5, uh, your word speaking powerfully in our hearts. And that what really matters is that we have the right belief in you, the belief that comes from your word in the Bible, that we will love one another, we will love one another by praying for the salvation and eternal issues, that we would, uh, dear Father, obey your commands. Uh, dear Father, we pray for ourselves that we will see that what is really at stake here is eternal life, protection from the evil one. Uh, dear Father, we pray that you will help us uh, to keep these things and be serious about these things. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.